parentheses, four. We'll start where we left off last week. We will start in verse four. We will try to make it to the end of the chapter. However, we may not. We'll see. (coughs) There's a lot to consider in this particular few verses that we're looking at tonight. And some differences in your in in your translations that that are I would say I don't want to say insignificant. They're significant to some degree. Uh because sometimes in translations there's words there that aren't another one and, and it kinda can mean something totally different, you know, depending on how you read it. Now, the reasons why those differences often exist is because there are lots of manuscripts that we have, hundreds and hundreds of manuscripts. Now, uh, we don't have any of the originals of the writings of anybody from Scripture. So it's not like somewhere in a vault there's a stack of all the letters that Paul wrote with his hand. We don't have that. What we have that our translations are made from are copies of copies of copies of copies. And for the most part, those copies are very similar when you compare them together. But there are some differences. Now, depending on the translators and the, and, the, and the text that they were using, they may translate it differently because some of these things are very difficult to translate. Now, when it comes to translation, uh, some people like to say, oh, I, I, I only read a Bible that's a word-for-word translation, but it doesn't exist. There, there are lots of changes that have to be made to take something that's in Hebrew and Greek and make it readable in the English. On top of that, there are a lot of things when you do that, that are are hard to know exactly maybe what it meant in that original language. And so what that leaves us with when we look at a variety of translations is it leaves us with some differences. Now, uh, I I think we need to to realize that I would would think, I'll give the translators the benefit of the doubt, that uh, these people are trying to do the best that they can with these translations. Now, while I suppose it's possible somebody's trying to trip somebody up, uh, I think not. I think that probably most of these people who make translations, at least the reputable ones, uh, they're they're trying their best to translate what the text really says. However, it's not always clear what the, the manuscripts that they're going by actually say. So, with that said, there are several of those differences in this particular passage, uh, three of them, I think at least, that we'll look at, that kind of really mean something totally different. And so we will look at some of those things and, uh, and discuss them as we go along and, uh, and go from there. So let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for your word. Dear Lord, I don't feel as though I'm prepared enough tonight, dear Lord. There's some things I just don't understand, and maybe maybe it's hard to understand, maybe some of these differences and, and why the differences are there. But dear Lord, your word is good. And God, I pray that you would help us not to get caught up in the weeds, dear Lord. It's easy when we see differences to want to break them down and look at them. And God, we want to talk about them because we want to understand your word as good as we can but we don't want to miss the core of your word, dear Lord. And I think that that's, that that's always there for us to see and understand. So I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would speak to us through your word tonight. God, help me to be able to do a good job to preach and teach. Hide me behind the cross. Take away any fear or pride I have, God, that everything that is said here tonight would be for your glory 
and for each one of us to grow in you. So be with us tonight, God. Help us to get your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We looked at the first three verses last week, and it talked about, you know, there's oppression in the world. Sometimes you may have this attitude that, man, it'd be better to be dead than be alive. But but we know that the writer of Ecclesiastes knows better than that. Uh, even though he used that type of language in those passages last week, we know that that he realizes that there's something more than what we see in this life. That that we don't just we're not just dead and gone, but that there's something better that awaits us. Because he said at the end of the book that our spirit goes back to the Lord, and so that kind of follows that same idea of this is kind of depressing language that we all feel sometimes that you just want to give up, that life is difficult, and we continue with that same idea tonight. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes tonight. We start in verse 4, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 4. I saw that all labor and skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friend. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. Now, this is the first difference that we will see in some of our translations. Now, my translation here says that, look, people work hard, they do the jobs that they do uh, because they are jealous of somebody else. Uh, some of your translations will say something uh, along these lines. Uh, again, I saw that all the toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. So which one is it? Do you work because you envy your neighbor, or is it saying that your neighbor envies you? Now, that's a little bit of a, of a difference there. You may have heard the phrase before, keeping up with the Joneses. Now, that phrase comes from an old comic strip by that title from back in the 1910s that ran for almost 30 years uh, in the New York Globe, I think it was. And the whole comic strip, you never meet the Joneses in the comic strip. You never see them. But the man and the wife, that everything they do, they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. That is, all the work that they are doing is so that they can keep up with their neighbors. That's what their toil is. That's what their labor is. That's what they're working for, is to be able to keep up with everybody else. Now, that's the idea that you see in my translation, or and possibly some others, too, that use that similar language, that all the labor and skillful work is due to a man's jealousy of his friends. That is, we are jealous or we are envious, perhaps, of things that other people have, and so we work, and so we work, and we work so we can keep up with everybody else. Or perhaps if the other translation is correct, that is, people may see what we have, and they, and they work and they work, and they're envious of us and what we have. And so both of those things would be true. Like, you could say, okay, which one of these is correct? Well, I don't know. Uh, but, but both are certainly true. Perhaps there are times that people are jealous of us, and it, that is their motivation to work hard. That's a bad motivation to work hard. And sometimes maybe that's our motivation. I'm going to work. I'm going to work. I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to work and labor. And for what purpose? Well, just so I can make sure I've got the, the, the same thing somebody else has. And not just the same thing they have, but I need to one-up them. So if they've got the, the 4,000 square foot house, well, I need the 5,000 square foot house. If they've, got the, if they've got this kind of sports car, then I need one that's a little faster than theirs, right? And so there's this idea of keeping up with the Joneses. And what's the purpose of life if that's what we labor for, right? That's an exhausting thing that we labor and labor and labor. There's no enjoyment in that because guess what? There's always going to be somebody else that's got something better. So that's a that's a miserable task, right? And so he's, he's talking about that in this particular verse. And what does he say? 
This too is futile, or some of your translations say it's vanity, or some say it's meaningless, right? There's, there's, there's no purpose to this. There's no joy in this. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes has come to discover. There is no joy in working hard so you can one-up somebody else. And, and, and it's, it's, it's no joy for the one who may be trying to one-up you. And so uh, this is important for us to realize because we, we may all be tempted in some way to fall into that keeping up with the Joneses trap. Verse 5. The fool folds his arms and consumes his own flesh. Now, it's possible that these first three verses we're looking at here go together in some way, or maybe they're separate. It's hard to say. It may be uh, like sometimes what we see in the book of Proverbs, right? It's sometimes it just goes from one wise verse to the next wise verse, and they may in some way be connected or they may not be connected. Now, the first verse is talking about one who is working, and this verse is talking about one who is not working, and that is the fool. And what does the fool do? He folds his arm and consumes his own flesh. Now, I don't think that he's saying he's becoming a cannibal there, that he's sitting there eating himself, but what he's saying is he's destroying himself, right? It's destruction for the fool who does not want to work. So some work for the wrong reasons to be like everybody else. Some don't work at all, and both are bad. Both are not to our benefit. Both are, are bad for us to do. And so we want to make sure that we are not the fool who folds his arms and destroys himself, right? There's, it's good for us to work, but we want to work for the right reasons. We want to work hard, but we want to work for the right reasons. And then it says in verse 6, Better one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort and a pursuit of the wind. Now, you can read commentaries on, on these couple of verses here, and you'll see some differences of opinion. Some will say that verse 6 goes with verse 5 here, and maybe it does. They, the, the, the view that, that some would hold, and, and it may be the correct view, is that it's saying that this is what the fool says. The fool's trying to get out of work and be lazy, so he says, hey, better to, better to just do a little work and just get by than to, than to do a lot of work, right? And so better to have a one handful with rest than two handfuls with effort. That is, somehow this fool may be trying to justify his laziness. However, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure that, that those two verses necessarily go together. They may or they may not. But this idea of being satisfied with a little is not an idea that's uncommon to, to Solomon. Uh, we can look at Proverbs. If you, if you want to look at Proverbs, you can. If not, no worries. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16 says uh, kind of some similar language here. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. So there's that idea of, you know, sometimes it's good to be content with a little. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point that's trying to be made here. Uh, maybe instead of trying to work and work and work and gain a lot and always working yourself to death or being a fool and doing nothing and destroying yourself, maybe there's some happy medium there in between, right? Because quite frankly, it's, it's miserable when you work and you work and you work and you work. There's no enjoyment to that. And you think, you think there will be. You work and you work and you work for what end? Okay, you have your, your cool stuff. But is there really enjoyment of that? Because then you've got to continue to work to pay for the cool stuff, right? And so really, in that sense, I think wealth and possessions may be more of a trap. Now, that's a trap probably that's easy to fall into because it doesn't appear to be a trap. But that what, that's, what makes it, that's what makes it so 
so scared, right? Because that, that desire for the wealth and those possessions uh, is very dangerous. And so maybe there's a happy medium, and maybe that's what verse 6 is about. Maybe, maybe the author here is telling us, hey, it's better to, to, to have a little and, and work a little bit and rest along the way than to try to build up a lot. So don't be a fool to fold your arms, and don't go crazy trying to impress other people or be like other people. But instead, work hard. But in the meantime, enjoy life a little bit, right? We've kind of seen that idea throughout the book, that idea of enjoy life a little bit. Now, not just go wild, right? That's what some in the world would say. You know, we talked about that last week. YOLO, you only live once, so do what you want to do. I don't think that that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is telling us to do, but there does need to be some rest and some enjoyment in life. And it seems at least more and more frequently, I see in my life and other people's life, is there ain't much rest. There is much going. There is much doing. And maybe some of that going and doing brings enjoyment. But quite frankly, in my life, if I'm honest, a lot of that going and doing brings stress. It brings a burden. It, it brings like, oh, I don't want to do this, you know. And so there's no joy in that. And so perhaps, as the saying goes, less is more. And maybe that's exactly what Ecclesiastes is telling us here. Work hard, get a little bit, but don't overdo it and go crazy with it. All right, verse 7. Again, I saw futility under the sun. There is a person without a companion, without even a son or brother. And though there is no end to all his struggles, his eyes are still not content with riches. Okay, so here's the idea here. Under the sun, there's this futility, there's this vanity, there's this meaninglessness. And what is he talking about here? Somebody without a companion, so somebody who is alone, who is on their own. They don't have a son, they don't have a brother, they don't have anybody. And it says there is no end to his struggles, and his eyes are still not content with riches. So this person doesn't have anybody else, but they do have their riches. And what does this person say? So who am I struggling for, he asked, and depriving myself from good? This, too, is futile and a miserable task. Now, here's another verse where there's some differences in the translation. Now, my particular translation here, the HCSB, uh, says, So who am I struggling for and depriving myself from good? What's the point, right? That kind of fits the, that kind of fits the theme that we're seeing. What am I doing all this work for? I'm going to be dead and gone. It's going to be gone. Why am I working myself to death? When there's nobody else in my life, there's no companion, there's no family, there's nobody for me to leave it to. So what's the point? Why am I working myself to death? Well, that seems to be the idea with that particular translation. However, some of your translations may say something different. But, uh, in your translations, it may say, but he never asked. So in mine, it says he asked, you know, why am I doing all this? But in other translations, it says, Yet he never asked, For whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? Now, that seems to imply that, that he, 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 never even, he never even thinks about the question. He never realizes that all this work he, he's doing is, is for, for no purpose, right? That he doesn't realize that this is miserable. He's just, he's just going on, going on, and never even thinks to realize that he's just working himself to death and gaining riches for what purpose? He can't take him with him. There's no one to leave him to. And so that word never there, he never asked, is what you will see in some translations 
and you will not see that word in other translations. So uh, there are some, some differences there, and what those differences may mean or not mean, I'm not sure, but they are definitely there in some of your translations. And so to say someone asked something as opposed to someone has never asked something, that's a difference, right? That's a, that's a, a difference that, that at least needs to be uh, pointed out. But, but I suppose that both of those things, again, are true. I mean, there's no trouble with either of those interpretations, that there is some that struggle and struggle and struggle and work and gain wealth only to realize what's the point. There's no one to leave it to. And there are others who struggle and struggle and struggle and who never even think about it. They just struggle for no reason. And what's the point? They never even realize that they're so consumed with their wealth. And so both of those, uh, there are people that would fall into those categories. Verse 9, this passage may be familiar to us. This is an often used passage. You may hear it at weddings, uh, but it's good. It's a good passage. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. Okay, so the first man we just looked at here, he was alone, and that was miserable, right? He's working, he's working, he's consumed with himself, he's consumed with his wealth. But, but to be alone, even with all the wealth in the world, is not good. But there's something better, and that is to have a companion. The first guy didn't have a companion, but there's a benefit to having a companion to having a wife, to having a husband, to having a child, to having a brother, to having a sister. There's, there's, there's good when you are with other people, right? We get that because there are times that we are lonely and there are times that we are afraid. There, there are times that things are going on in our life. And sometimes it just feels good to be with another person, right? You just want somebody to be there. They don't necessarily have to say anything, but it just feels good to know that somebody is there. So we totally understand the benefit of having another. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Now, this is just the most practical advice, right? On the most basic level, if you fall down and there's somebody with you, they can help you up. Now, that's, that's the simple and most practical advice in the world. But sometimes you need somebody to pick you up. Maybe quite literally, maybe quite literally you have fallen and you can't get up, right? And that's why they sold so many of them things on TV. Y'all remember those commercials? It would be this older lady, and bless her heart, she'd fall and she'd be laying in the yard and she'd push the button and she'd say, Help, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? Because she was alone and she was calling for help because sometimes you need people to help you Get up, right? And so two are better than one. So sometimes quite literally we fall and we need someone to come to our aid and help us get up. But in a spiritual level, I mean, sometimes we fall too. Sometimes emotionally we're down and we need someone to lift us up. And so that's why it's good for us to have family and to have friends and to have a church family, to have brothers and sisters in Christ, not just to physically be there for one another. Yeah, sometimes we get sick and we're down and we can't get out of the bed, or we can't go to the store, or we can't cook. And so people will say, hey, I'm going to bring you a meal. I'm going to go to the store for you. I'm going to come and cut your yard for you, or whatever it may be, right? Those are ways that we, that we help people when they are down. And so two are better than one. It's good when you have a companion with you. Verse 11, also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can... One person alone keep warm. Again, just a super practical example here of what it means to have somebody else in your life. There's benefit in your life, right? So 
By contrast, the person who's alone, they got a lot of wealth, but they're miserable. But what about those who have somebody else? Well, there's some joy there. There's some benefit there, right? They can help one another out. They can keep one another warm when it is cold outside. And so these are examples that we certainly understand the meaning of them. Verse 12, And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. All right, same idea. You get, you're up against, maybe somebody's trying to attack you, an animal's trying to attack you, but if it's just one of you, okay, you may be in trouble. You get two of you, well, now you got a better chance to resist. Now you got a better chance to defend yourself against whatever it is you may be up against. And if two are good, three are better. And if three are good, four are better, right? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. And so perhaps when we think about our church family, right? Two people gather together to praise the Lord. Hey, that's great. Three people gather together. Four people gather together. Pretty soon you got a church family. Hopefully we all love each other. We all pray for each other. We all take care of each other. And that is strong. And that, that, that strength allows a church family to go out and do the work of God and build the kingdom of God, right? So we want as many strands as we can get. Good strands, not, not bad strands mixed in there that may be weak, but good strands. Strands that are all seeking the Lord and trusting in the Lord. And so a cord of three strands, he says, is not easily broken. All right, let's look at the next verse. Uh, verse 13. Better is a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer pays attention to warnings. Now, here we see something that is, that is important. Uh, and wisdom there is the important thing. Now, we may be tempted in our world to look at things that are worldly and think they are good, right? Someone who is a little older and worldly may be appealing than someone who is younger or someone who is poor. But what does what Ecclesiastes tell us here? Look, sometimes it's the poor person, sometimes it's the young person that has all the wisdom, not the one who is old and worldly. Now, that may appear to be the most attractive, but there's a problem there. The one who is old and worldly, the foolish king that's spoken of here, no longer pays attention to warning. So what is better, to live foolishly or to live wisely? Well, that is what's most important. And uh, we don't want to be those who refuse to take pay attention to uh, warnings. Verse 14, For he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. Now, this seems to be referencing the poor, wise youth there, right? He came from nothing, but he arose into something, right? His wisdom paved the way for him. His wisdom helped him work his way up into this position of being king, right? And when we use wisdom and when we make wise decisions and when we live wisely, it is going to work out better for us. Now, that doesn't mean that we may not sometimes go through hard times, but ultimately, when we make wise, the choice, uh, wise decisions and wise choices, things are going to work out better for us than if we make foolish choices. So wise choices will bring us up, right? He goes from, he goes from prison. He goes from being poor. He goes from, from, from nothing to rising to king. So wisdom raises you up, but foolishness brings you down. Uh, verse 14, for he came from prison to be king, even though he was born poor in his kingdom. Now, this is another instance where we're going to see some differences here in our translations. If you look at the King James, for instance, it says, For out of prison he cometh to reign, 
whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. Now that part there about he that is born in his kingdom becoming poor, that's showing us a contrast, right? There was a king who was foolish and, and, and who appears to be born into the kingship, right? He was born with wealth and power, and that's why he rose to be king. But even though he was king, he was foolish. And in his foolishness, he becometh poor. But that part about the king becoming poor uh, is not in every translation, but it is in some translations. Now, again, even though these things are different, there's no problem there. Look, we get that, okay? So in some of them, it just says the poor, uh, by their wisdom, are raised up into a position of power. And that other part that we see in the King James, that, oh, and those who are high sometimes are brought down. Jesus says the same thing in the New Testament. Uh, oftentimes, we see that language, those who are first shall be last, or those who are exalted will be humbled, and those who are humbled will be exalted. So this is that same idea. And so even though our translations may differ, there's no problem here. It's just different in some translations uh, than it is in other translations. Verse 15, I saw all the living who move about under the sun follow a second youth who succeeds him. There is no limit to all the people who were before them, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him, right? And so there's going to be this whole line of kings or people or whoever it may be that are going to come and that are going to go. And some are going to be wise and some are going to be foolish. But at the end of the day, most are going to be forgotten. Now, there are always going to be those few examples. But as we have talked about already through Ecclesiastes, most people who have walked the face of this earth have long been forgotten. We don't have a clue who they are. We don't know where they're buried. We don't know where they live. We don't know if they were wealthy or poor, tall or short. We don't know any of those things, right? And that's part of what the book of Ecclesiastes hopefully helps us to remember, is that, look, things come and go. But what matters when all is said and done is, have we feared the Lord and kept his commands, right? Have we realized what it said in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, that it's better to have a little with fear of the Lord than to have a lot and not fear the Lord, right? And so that's kind of the same idea that we see here in Ecclesiastes. What's the point to obtaining a lot of wealth? Because oftentimes that wealth is going to make you miserable. Oftentimes the foolishness that we use to obtain that wealth and the foolishness that we spend our wealth on may bring us down instead of raising us up. Now, this is wisdom here in Ecclesiastes. Wisdom that, man, as I read this chapter, I was thinking, this is good. I need to, I need, I don't want to be like that king that doesn't, that doesn't get this, but man, I need to get this, right? Because the world looks very appealing. It looks good. And there is that temptation to say, we need to keep up with everybody else, or we need X and we need Y. But, but do we really need those things? We want those things. And sometimes getting the things we want are not bad, but many times, perhaps, getting the things we want are worse than we think than they're going to be. Because there's always that pull to get and to get a little more and to get and to get a little better. Uh, but, but there is great joy in contentment. And I believe that that's part of what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach us, is to find great joy in the contentment of life and the simpler things of life. But most importantly, to find contentment in the Lord. He says there at the end of the passage, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. This too is futile in a pursuit of the wind, right? Same phrase. 
He goes through all of these things, and he goes through lots of things that we'll cover from here to the end of the book and that we already have covered. But, but it's always the same at the end. The things of the world are meaningless. Now, some of your translations will use the word meaningless. Some would object to that translation, saying, oh, well, that's not a good translation because, because there, there is meaning in life uh, in Jesus Christ. Well, he's not saying that, that, he's saying that the things of the world are meaningless is what he's saying. It's clear by the end of the book that he's not saying that God is meaningless, but when it says these things are meaningless, he's talking about worldly things that people tend to focus on and he's saying, look, these things are meaningless. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, the way that we learn that is the same way that Solomon, if in fact he is the one that wrote this book, learned it, is sometimes you have to learn it by getting everything you want to realize that everything you wanted was not what you thought it was going to be. And so there's wisdom in that. Hopefully we learn that lesson without having to go through all of that, but many times that's the way we have to learn the lessons, and that's that's how the writer of Ecclesiastes learned the lesson. They had a lot, but what good was it? A lot of money, a lot of power, whatever it was, it was all worth it. Because in the end, there is only one thing that matters. And that's what he says at the end of the book. When all is said and done, the only thing that matters is that we fear God and keep his commands. That is where we need to find meanings. We say that verse every week, and we probably will say that verse every week. Because we need to realize when we read these things and they seem depressing and it seems like life is a bummer, it's because life is often a bummer. But we have to look past the things of this world. We have to look to what is bigger. We have to look for where our meaning and where our joy comes from and it comes from obedience to the Lord. And until we live in obedience to the Lord, we'll never find that joy that God really wants us to have with freedom in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these words, even though our translations have a different word here or there, dear Lord. All of this stuff is true, dear Lord. We want to be those who seek you. We want to be those who don't work for ourselves, dear Lord. We don't want to work and work and work and work just to have and have and have for what reason. We don't want to work to be like other people or to be better than other people, dear Lord, as tempting as it may be. God, we also don't want to sit with our arms folded and never do anything. But God, let us find that happy medium that we see in verse 6, that God, maybe we just need to be content with one handful and rest a little bit, enjoy life a little bit, dear Lord, than working ourselves to death for the wrong reasons. So God, let us work when we need to work, but let us rest when we can rest, dear Lord. I pray that we would find that there is strength in numbers, God. There is strength in a companion. There is strength in a spouse. There is strength in children. There is strength in a church family, dear Lord. There is strength in friends. And so, God, let us find that strength in one another, dear Lord. Let us find it in you and let us find it in each other. And, God, I pray that we would remember just how, how futile the things of this world are. Dear Lord, you give us things and there is some enjoyment in those things. But, God, help us to see the things in this world far as meaningless as they are, but God, let us see the meaning and the joy that comes through you. So God, let us be those who hear your commands, who fear you, and who keep your commands, dear Lord, and find contentment in the simpler things in life, and most importantly, dear Lord, find it in Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.